Listen to Ink Studs, and my guest this week is John Harris Dunnings. Uh, sorry, Dunning. I said, why did I say it in plural there, John? I don't know. John Harris <laughs> Dunning. Uh, personality. There we go. Exactly. Um, and his new book from Self Made Hero is Tumult, um, as well as previous book, Salem Brownstone. And you're involved in a quite a large uh, art exhibition of UK work. Um, 
what was it called? The Unmasked Art Anarchy? Unmasked Art and Anarchy in the UK, and that was at the British Library. And that was with uh, Paul Gravett. Indeed, the great Paul Gravett. The always well-dressed, I feel schlubby, <laughs> standing next to Paul. <laughs> totally. You, you definitely, you can't feel colourful standing next to Paul. He's definitely the most colourful dresser in comics, and that is saying something. <laughs> He always tells me to wear more colors, but I mean, how could one catch up, you know? Yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a very much, pretty much all black all the time. Yeah, guy, me so too. Right from that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think we're probably like, I was reading this book, one of the things I was thinking about is we're probably around the same age, or like the same kind of generational yeah. thing. Um, I'm 40, I don't know if you want to say yeah, that. Yeah, right. yeah, no, I'm 43. There we go. Um, and so I was thinking about like, there's a bunch of stuff I was thinking about reading the book that kind of goes with that as far as like this, like, um, midlife crisis kind of way Yeah. in that, like, we're at this point where we're like, oh, we're not young anymore, but we're not yeah. old. Yeah. We kind of got to figure our shit out, but we don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. We're supposed to be mature or something. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, when my parents were my age, actually, they're more of a mess than I am, so I don't feel so bad saying that. <laughs> um... <laughs> yeah, no, totally. No, there, is a, there is a generational thing, man. And um, I mean, one of the things that inspired this book, you, you may have noticed on the back, there's this, there's this image of, of the main character, Adam, jumping off Cliff, which kind of um, echoes the, the, the tarot card, The Fool. But um, but but you know, when you read the book, you realise that, and this is not a spoiler, obviously, that um, you know, he starts off by kind of breaking his ankle, and that almost kind of stimulates him to start reassessing his life and stuff. Um, when I was thirty-five, I jumped off a rock um, in Mallorca and basically broke the base of my spine and cracked um, my one ankle, and you know, went to the doctor afterwards. They said there's nothing wrong. And then over the next months, it kind of got worse and worse. And it was real kind of agony for many years and sort of dodgy in a million ways. I've completely recovered, I'm pleased to say, but it took kind of eight years. So I'd always considered myself a bit kind of, um, you know, emo didn't exist back when I was a kid. So, you know, a bit kind of grunge, a bit Kurt Cobain, you know, hated, hated um, people who were into sport, would never consider myself a jock. But you don't realize you're a jock until you actually can't do anything. You know, it was like, it was all very well not to be a jock, but it's like I had the option if I wanted to, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I would have so, never jumped uh, off any cliffs, I'm sorry. So, 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 for me, so for me, it was like a real, it was the first actual intimation, which I was lucky at 35, of, of um, you know, of any kind of really serious, I'd never broken anything or even sprained anything before. So it was like suddenly that I was having to face vulnerability and then I was also 35, so you are starting to realize that, you know, you're young and everything, but you're not that young, and it takes a bit more to get over hangovers, and you, you're starting to kind of reach a point in your life where you're starting to look at what you've done and other people around you have done, and you're supposed to be on your way, um, and I certainly didn't really feel like I was. So, um, so, so, so all of those things were kind of bound up um, with that. Yeah. I definitely got the idea that this is kind of... Uh writing this book, which I mentioned it was drawn by, um, was it Michael Kennedy? Um, yeah. The process of writing this book, like, I definitely feel like it's, there's almost probably a catharsis for you of, like, kind of going from, like, where you are to where you're going yeah. to be when you're done that book. 
Yeah, completely. Um, you know, I mean, I come, I come from um, the school of Alan Moore and Grant Morrison. I read them when I was growing up. Um, you know, massive influence was old 2000 AD from sort of late 70s. I mean, I wasn't reading then, but 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 those artists who then went through to mid to late 80s, early 90s, that was the kind of point when I was reading, when 2000 AD was really an important magazine and people like Morrison and Moore were writing for them and loads of other others as well, like Pete Milligan and basically everybody else who came from the UK, loads of amazing artists. And, um, and, and, I, and there is something superstitious about me, you know, which, which it, that book was almost like a magic spell, um, you know, which, which I used, um, you know, to, to, to exercise certain things and draw other things towards me. And I feel it's been quite successful, um, sort of in an, an, it's an ongoing process, but, you know, I took it quite seriously and, and it was definitely um, a, a kind of, uh, emotional process um, and very cathartic and then you know also as a writer some some of my most important I always say like my mom as a writer is Anais Nin and my dad is William Burroughs um, you know and both of them and both of them um, you know ha have this kind of feeling of emotional and you know Sylvia Plath's another big um, uh, big influence as you can see in the book uh, I reference her a few times so so, so there is this feeling of needing to sort of really kind of dig deep emotionally. I mean, having said all of that, you know, there's, it's certainly not an autobiographical tale other than that accident. And, you know, nothing else bears any relation to my life. So it was very much a kind of fiction, fictional story, but using that kind of underpinning um, and that approach. But, the, yeah, and some of the things I was thinking about is even not necessarily with the, um, the protagonist, uh, there's his friend, was it Merrick? Yeah. And and I think about, like, we were talking a minute ago about, like, kind of the generational kind of experience that even though mm -hmm. I'm in Vancouver, you know, 10 hours flight away from England, there is some, some commonalities thing. And, mm. and I think of, like, how we kind of process kind of childhood junk and pop culture and mm, mm. trying to find something within there mm. to kind of qualify our interest in it. Yeah, and yeah, explain. for sure. For that sure, man, it's true. No, you're, you're absolutely right, it's true. But um, but it's funny, you know, because I write other things and I've written other things, but there's something so special about comics. Um, you know, and it's it's one of the reasons I love somebody like Paul Gravette because he's, he's such a kind of intense... Um, champion of the form mm -hmm. and has really been an inspiration to me as well um, in the last couple of sort of what's sort a of decade and a half that I've known him I guess it's been that long but um, you know there's something very special about comics that they do which is separate from literature separate from f cinema separate from other visual arts um, it's a way of communicating that for me feels especially effective mm -hmm. um, you know, both to communicate in and also to read. You know, I, I, it feels. I think it's the thing that I most enjoy. Um, you know, uh, taking in um, and uh, yeah. So, so, so that I guess that's why I work in it. Well, I wasn't just asking why working in comics and just wondering. Uh, I think it was more about um, kind of how we process pieces of culture uh, f from from our past. Yeah, and kind of bring it out now or kind of re I'm trying to think of the right word because the other one character is kind of looking at like uh tropes within within cinema mm. in the past mm. 
basically trashy action films. Yeah. Yeah. And and just kind of how we kind of as consumers of 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 pop culture at a young age, where uh, now folks are unlimited in the depth of stuff, but like really small particular things kind of had an impact. Robin, that's really interesting. I hadn't I hadn't thought of that, but it's so true. So I don't know what it was like in Vancouver, but you know, I grew up in South Africa in um in the capital city, which is called Pretoria, which is about the size of a postage stamp. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also a state of emergency because apartheid was on, so we didn't get TV, newspapers, magazines, or anything from the outside world. So we were incredibly, incredibly isolated. Um, you know, there was no MTV. There was, I mean, there was some music videos, but they were all kind of uh, going through the lens of the one TV station that was running, which was very conservative. So I definitely agree with you. So that was a more exaggerated form, but it was the same everywhere, as you say, in that period. I don't think there'd ever really be a Michael Jackson or a Madonna or something again, because you just can't get that level of focus, as you say, on particular people. And it was the same with comics. It was the same with, you know, I couldn't get comics every month. So certain comics would come through sporadically and I would fixate on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of like some sort of sort of insane vampire or insect kind of suck meaning and kind of uh, enjoyment and, and, and stuff out of them. So it's like burnt into my consciousness. And you're absolutely right. It's a different time. I think one of the dangers now for kids is that they're so flooded with information um, they find it hard to concentrate um, and really kind of draw what they can out of it. And of course, I think the other danger with um, with uh, technology the way it is at the moment is just that, um, you know, it's, 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 I think kids believe that they know it all and they actually don't know anything because they're kind of in a flood of the present. It's very hard to look back, you know, um, and, and, and look at old things. They just assume they know it because they can Google it very easily, but it doesn't mean they have Googled it. It doesn't mean they have looked it up on YouTube. Um, so, so I think that's a dangerous, a dangerous uh, position that they're in as well, that we're all in to some extent. Yeah, I was going to say, I would say even more so our parents. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's true. Maybe I mean, I love it. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's things I love. I mean, you know... <laughs> Having been starved of information as a kid, I love being able to look anything up, you know, anything up, being able to order anything um, online, being able to read any comic I want, any book, see any film, you know, living in London, you know, I can access anything, see anything. But um, but but there is something to be said for the kind of less is more and, and the kind of real focus. Um, you know, I saw, I saw um, Morrison, Grant Morrison discussing um, The Invisibles, uh, when, when at the British Library um, during that exhibition, he came and he was in conversation with Warren Ellis, and he was talking about how he did something to do with um, the, there was that the, there was that little section in um, the Invisibles where there's the French Revolution, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, it was it was before it was before Google, so you couldn't just Google French Revolution, just look up kind of a paragraph and then another paragraph and read an article and start reading and sort of piecing it together. He basically just bought the best book kind of historical book on the French Revolution, read it from cover to cover, got this really good overview of one perspective and then wrote the story. Yeah. And and it suddenly made me realize that's, that's not how any of us write anymore. And and we've kind of lost something from that because you would just kind of, you, you know, I know that if I'm researching something, you just quickly Google something, read a snatch here, snatch there, assemble it sort of on, you know, on the go and that's it. You know, you don't get a really well-argued historical perspective, um, you know, but you know, there's, there's pluses and minuses as we know. <laughs> Um, 
how old were you when you moved to to the UK from South Africa? Twenty four. So oh, okay. I went. So I went to. So I went to. I I I came to London for a year when I was eighteen and worked as a security guard um, on Leicester Square, which was a kind of central central London. Mm-hmm. It was when um, um, the IRA was still planting bombs in London, so there was a lot of uh, searching bags for bombs and. Um, you know, and sort of garbage can You couldn't really. There weren't really any public garbage bins because it was too dangerous in terms of bombs. So, um, so, so, so that's what I did um, for a year, from eighteen to nineteen. Then I went back and I went to film school. Um, you know, and then and then I came out the other side of film school and moved to when I was twenty-four um, back to London. Um, yeah. Now the art show you put together with Paul mm. Um, mm. that was in twenty fourteen. That's right. And tell me kind of how that came about um, as a project, so what you guys wanted out of it. Yeah, I mean, basically, um, I instigated it. And the way I did that was I basically stalked the British um, the British Library. Um, and, and, and what had happened was um, there is very little respect, or there, there had been up to that point, and there still is arguably very little respect for comics as a medium here in the UK. Um, so, for instance, um, you know, people like 2000 AD who, who have worked with all the very best um, uh, artists and creators, you know, over the decades, some of the most important in the world, some of the most successful in the world slash America today, um, they had all of that work. They don't have an archive. They've thrown it away. They've lost it. Um, and I think there was a point um, a couple of decades ago where basically they just threw a whole bunch of original stuff into, the, into a tip. Um, you know, in the rain, and that was just that gone, you know. Um, now, I don't know how accurate that is, but certainly um, they haven't kept any kind of, of archive, and, and, and that stuff doesn't seem to exist. A lot of it is lost. And and again, like, not that it's entirely their responsibility, you know. You, you'd have thought that, you know, with people like Morrison, Moore, um, Dave Gibbons, I mean, you know, Frank Quitely, I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. You know, you can go on forever in terms of the, the significant British or creators that there is no interest in in there had been no interest in museums collecting I and mean, there still is nobody that really has original art original scripts all that kind of thing and then when I when I met Paul and I was at a place called the Institute of Contemporary Arts in London and he and I started this festival called Comica together mm-hmm. and 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 basically we started inviting we had Charles Burns who turned up and we built him as a DJ which he was very surprised <laughs> <laughs> Charles Burns. It was hilarious. I love you know, that. Zadie Smith came and she hung out with Chris Ware, and you know, it was it was a really interesting moment. And so we did that, and we started inviting because, of course, Paul's got these amazing international collections. Um, obviously, with America and Canada, and you know, the Americas generally, and and everywhere. But certainly, when I started meeting European curators, and you started seeing these big budgets they had to collect comic art to support comics, to archive comics, and realizing that there was just no such thing in the UK, I really took it upon myself to try and change that. So I spent, I think I sent an email to the British Library once every two weeks for two or three years um, until I think I just wore them down. And in fact, um, one of the people who um, were senior at the British Library was leaving, and and they sort of said to him, look, you you can definitely have a good say in in what the last exhibition is, and I think as a bit of a sort of pranksterish kind of <laughs> tricksterish joke, but he was quite naughty. He was like, "Let's do the comic thing, 
you know, to, to, to people's horror. Um, but the British Library were absolutely amazing and really got on board. And so it was it was extraordinary. And they came to the party and it's the biggest exhibition of comics um, ever to have happened in the UK. And it was their most successful show to date. And I think 48% of the people who came to the show had never been to the British Library before. So it was a huge success for them on many levels. Mm-hmm. They also have an incredible collection of comics which they hadn't catalogued properly. So it was all catalogued during the exhibition. So they now there's a big, big public archive of material that's now available, um, you know, at the British Library and properly catalogued and, and stuff. So, so it really felt like an important thing. So as soon as they said to me that, yes, they'd like to do it, um, you know, I immediately called up Paul. You know, it's a, a little bit like Batman and Robin, but we can't figure out who's who. Um, and I immediately called him up and was like, right, I've got the show. You have to help. So, so we took it on together and we had a huge amount of fun. You know, like we did things like, um, I don't know whether you know who John Dee is. Do, the, do you know him? Like Elizabeth the first, um, wizard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, so basically the alchemist, the alchemist. Exactly. Yes. So, so, so he's somebody that Alistair Crowley was obsessed with. And obviously Alan Moore is obsessed with him and Morrison. So when he, before he died, he, his library was broken up and kind of scattered to the four winds and he went bankrupt. But he hid all of his spell books, his handwritten spell books, in a piece of furniture. And sort of after he died, about 100 years later, somebody who'd bought a piece of furniture um, went to the kitchen and he looked at the breads that were going into the, into the oven and saw that they were beautifully written manuscript pages and said to the maid, where's this from? She said, oh, I found a whole bunch of books and I'm tearing them up and using them to wrap the stuff that I'm cooking. And basically it was all of, uh, all of John Dee's handwritten spell books. So, so, so those are actually in the British library collection. So for instance, when we did the show, you know, John Dee's been a big influence on Grant Morrison and Alan Moore. We could literally just send for John Dee's original handwritten spell books and they were in the exhibition. You know, we, we got the original manuscript, handwritten manuscript of Alistair Crowley's um, Diary of a Drug Fiend, um, which is written uh, by his girlfriend uh, which is hilarious, beautiful handwriting, um, tied up with her hand with her hair ribbon, and loads of his cocaine-addled uh, red crossing outs all over the page, just kind of hysterical crossing out. So, um, yeah. I mean, with the British Library behind us, we really had the most extraordinary access. Um, you know, Dave McKean designed the show. Um, you know, uh, and then everybody just got involved and lent us the most extraordinary stuff. So it was it was remarkable. It was one of those cases though of just being very lucky. You know, it was just the right time to do it and, and, and the floodgates opened. So it was great. And it was basically about sedition in British comics. And I think if you really analyze British comics, I think that's the biggest gift of British comics is it has this right from the Victorian period onwards, this sort of air of sedition and undercutting things. And I think when 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 the, the kind of British invasion happened and you had definitely Alan Moore and Grant Morrison and Neil Gaiman going over. They were sort of hired to kind of undercut superheroes, reinvent superheroes, but by criticizing them and critiquing them. And so that's kind of what we were trying to um, tease out of the history of British comics. And part of it, I think, one of the ideas I'm getting, especially from the name, is you kind of see that modern era of British comics as like the children of punk in a way, Mm. like that Mm. next immediate generation. Totally, totally. But I mean, you know, there's such a there's such an important cross pollination between the US and 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 the UK um, that we mustn't forget because obviously punk was invented really um, in New York before 
um, you know, punk exploded in, in London, you know, probably, I mean, about a decade or at least a half decade earlier, um, you know, with New York Dolls and Patti Smith and, you know, um, Maxis Kansas City and Iggy Pop and all of that. And then that kind of moving through to the UK. So, you know, uh, it's probably too simplistic to, to see that invasion as, you know, just coming from the UK. You know, the UK obviously been influenced in comics and in music massively by the US, but definitely. You well, know, I was thinking more direct, the writers you're referring to being influenced by, yeah. by the totally. UK punk totally. movement. Totally, totally. You're absolutely right, 100%. And then also, you know, the, the kind of, uh, I don't know, I don't know how much your listeners are interested or particularly that you're interested, but, uh, but in terms of the occult movements as well, you know, that whole punk rock uh, aesthetic led to, you know, the, the, the school of chaos magic. And chaos magic is something that that, Mor- that both Moore and Morrison are, are interested in. Probably more more interested in ritual magic with elements of chaos magic. But Grant Morrison is very interested in chaos magic, um, you know. And and so I think we, we we yeah that's that's punk rock through and through as well. So definitely that influence. Well, I think also uh, like Jimmy Page and Mick Jagger were also very into that too. With uh, yeah. Kenneth Anger living with Jimmy yeah. Page for a while till he kicked him out. And then Keith yeah. Anger tried to put a curse on him. <laughs> yeah. He puts a curse on everybody. I mean, I think I know three or four people who've actually been cursed by by Kenneth Anger. It's just like, you know, it's just like a thing. You know, if he hasn't cursed you, you haven't done something right, you know. I feel totally left out. Ah. He's, he's, <laughs> he's still alive, isn't he? Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's kind of the amazing. Queen, the Queen is not dead. No. no. And he's been <laughs> involved since, like, the 30s, I think he was a child star. Or did yeah. he? Did stuff yeah, he's amazing. He's 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 fantastic. You know, he's yeah. He you know, and he and he was a very talented filmmaker. I mean, I feel it's it's not up to artists to please me, and there's so many reasons. And 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 I also yeah, I don't ever like to criticize another artist because I I think he is so talented. Um, you know, it's 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 disappointing to me that he hasn't produced more. Mm-hmm. Um, God knows what the reasons are, but you know, if you look back at that early that output, like Fireworks, is beyond significant. It's like one of the earliest gay movies. Um, it's very erotic. It's very interesting. Still, I mean, it would still be tricky to kind of put out there now. Um, and that was, I mean, that was forties or something. Um, you know, Custom Car Commandos. Uh, you know, all that stuff. Uh, you know, Augeration of the Pleasure Dome, um, mm-hmm. which stars Anais Nin, and then also. Uh, this lady called Cameron, uh, Marjorie Cameron, who's you know really undergoing a kind of resurgence of popularity as a as an artist, as a female artist, working in the sixties. Um, you know, she knew Kenneth Anger, and she was very involved with Alistair Crowley's magic and and stuff. So it was a really int- you know he was always involved with really interesting people. You know, the the Manson family. You know, the the whole thing. You know, he was he was there. Check him out, folks. Lucifer Rising, I think, is one of his. Yeah, books. yeah, yeah, yeah. Lucifer Rising, one. Uh, you may even find them on the old YouTube's. Uh, you can actually, yeah, yeah. Inauguration of my demon brother, I think, is my favorite one, starring Mick Jagger's brother, actually. <laughs> and then yeah. Mick Jagger did the soundtrack for Lucifer Rising. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. I was thinking about something about because you mentioned this kind of started while you're doing stuff at the ICA, um, mm. and how the idea of like comics are fitting into like contemporary art before mm. they're uh, necessarily being recognized by institutional mm-hmm. um, academic 
institutions. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, uh, and it, it's to me, it's it's interesting um, in that kind of where the art is recognizing a lot quicker than than the the library, like that mm. level of stuff. Um, and it's still interesting having these conversations with folks. And maybe it's also that's like a particular gallery because in North America, not all the galleries are necessarily recognizing as quickly. Mm. Um, and it's more like specific people like the Chris Ware or the Spiegelman. Um, mm. And then like folding in Murakami, who isn't necessarily a comics person, just mm. uses like the iconography. So I don't know. I don't know what I was it's so there. it's so it's so broad though, isn't it? And it's yeah. it's hard because I think you know I spoke to uh, I spoke to Dan Klaus years ago during the time of Ghost World, and, and he had a kind of anxiety about being sort of allowed into the kind of literary world and allowed into art the art world that I know where shared and you know obviously like there's the great Seth who I absolutely adore, um, you know these these were all people are people. Um, you know, an Art Spiegelman, um, the clues in the name, um, that where basically, I think there's a, I think there's a nervousness that by being absorbed into kind of those high art uh, spaces, you're then being constrained in some way, and and there is something so beautiful about the sleaziness of comics, and you know, <laughs> the, the unselfconsciousness of them, like you know, because one of the things I thought was really important is you know. I'm looking at some of the things that I've put out that I wanted to discuss with you today, and there's things like um, there's things like uh, that great book by Fletcher Hanks uh, that turn turn loose our death rays and kill mm-hmm. kill the ball. It's such a great one. But then I'm looking at something like Seichi Hayashi's Red Coloured Elegy, which is drawn in quarterly, which just absolutely blew my mind. And but then there's Craig Thompson's Blankets and. You know, there's all these kinds of re-evaluations of stuff like Nancy, you know, the old kind of strip cartoons, and then this amazing Japanese stuff, sort of social critique, post-war social critique, like Slum Wolf, which is that Tadawa Tsuge, mm-hmm. um, I think is the New York Review of Books is, um, ha- has just published. And so there's all this stuff. But, you know, at the same time, and I admire that, and I'm genuinely um, influenced by that stuff. But then, you know, I'm looking at things like... Um, you know uh, uh, the the the, um, the the Wonder Woman run in the eighties, which I just absolutely loved. Who I think was um, Giordano. Um, you know, and let me just—I mean, I can actually look it up. But it's like that stuff was just absolutely. I mean, that was probably the most important, you know, work to me as a kid, and I still absolutely love it. Like the Carmen Infantino Flash was yeah. absolutely, and the kind of late one, that Trial of Flash. Um, yeah, Jerry Conway stuff when he was writing Wonder Woman. There was various artists there. And, you know, even now, like contemporary stuff, I think the Greg Smallwood Vampironica is absolutely stunning. Um, you know, so 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 I am I'm, I'm also have a sort of slight anxiety about, you know, how much do we want to be invited to the prom? Um, you know, I, I, it's always been fun being Carrie. Um, you know, I'd rather be Kurt Cobain than Axl Rose. You know, it's like there's something good about being on the outside, and 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 there, and there's there might be some kind of implied constraint by being invited into, you know, into those spaces. I don't know. Well, the funny thing is, like the, I want to touch back the first book you mentioned, which was the Fletcher Hanks thing. Um, mm. The history on that's really interesting because it was uh, 
brought forward by a guy who was trained as an abstract painter who's like, hey guys, you need to check this out. Yeah. And decided to go and do comic yeah. style work at Jerry Moriarty. Like that was yeah. him bringing that to Raw to the Spiegelmans and uh, going, you need to read this comic. This is insane. Uh, and the same with the Nancy. Someone's telling me about how like Jerry was also the big uh, push on the Nancy stuff back in the day. And look, I mean, and just doesn't it, doesn't it, 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 it is extraordinary. And maybe it does need that external eye, or maybe it needs that kind of external kind of thumbs up from somebody outside of the scene. I mean, um, I think there is huge amounts of comic stuff that's, that's, that's undiscovered. And, and one of the things that really freaked me out about the Fletcher Hanks material is it's so wonderfully strange and cool. Um, how much of that stuff must there be out there still that is just not getting looked at? There's a, a great shop, I don't know what it's like where you are, but there's a great shop here called 30th Century Comics in London, and they specialize in old comics. And so you can just go there and just get lost in those racks and look at stuff that you've never heard of, what well, I've never heard of before. And you discover these incredible runs and artists that you've never heard of mm-hmm. um, all the time. So it, it, there's something beautiful about, you know, comics have not been properly cataloged. There's so many lost classics. It makes it such an exciting, vibrant form. You know, whereas you do feel with like the traditional, um, you know, the traditional history of art, it's been kind of really worked over. I guess what we're starting to see now, though, is that, you know, we don't know the history of black art, which certainly hasn't been given its due at all. So that's really starting to come through. You know, female artists are starting to come through. So there are, of course, those spaces that are still opening up now. It, one of my fun things to do when I'm at a comic convention I'm not really enjoying uh, mm. is to take a friend who doesn't really dig deep and dig deep into the comic boxes and find them stuff. Like, yeah. here, read this, check this yeah. out. Yeah. This will be yeah. fun. Um, yeah. And, it, it, you know, it's... I feel in some ways we're kind of over-indated with, with a lot of Golden Age stuff right now where it's hard yeah. to sift through it because there's so many reprint volumes yeah. of uh, questionable quality um, yeah. where really, I think, uh, it works better, like as you say, kind of digging and finding these extant copies and uh, totally. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm such a I'm, I'm such a wanker when it comes to that. It's like I, I just I just love the original versions. Like you know, of course, you know, if if I have to, I'll read a volume, and it's really wonderful that they do volumes. You know, because I mean, I couldn't afford to be collecting them issue by issue, but you really feel the difference. You know, that the kind of history of a book. You know, recently. It's one of like my one of my pride of possessions. I've just collected my way through the whole fourth world, um, uh, you know, kind of Jack Kirby yeah. run. They're just so beautiful as issues, you know. Like those original issues are just such cool objects. The advertising, like the look of the paper, the covers, the shape of them, like you can't. They did actually. They did really good volumes, although they're now like worth like fifty quid each or something or more. Um, <laughs> Those those ones DC reproduced, yeah. but there's just something in the original that you just can't get off those volumes. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just being. It's the musk and the yeah, you know, yeah. price on the cover, the twenty yeah. cents in a big circle. Yeah, um, yeah. No, seventies Kirby is like for me is the the sweet spot of like. Oh my god, he's amazing. 
And Amazing. I, and then I try and look at like 1960s Marvel stuff, and it just does nothing for me. Like, I don't no. care about Thor. I don't care about any of that stuff. But then I look at um, the 2001 series oh. that he did, and it's just so insane. And it's just like it's unleashed. Really, yeah. Have you seen that like mega? Have you seen that like mega sized edition? Yeah, that's just beautiful. I got that the other day. It's just like, oh my god! It's, an, I mean, cliche alert, but it's, it is literally a feast for the eyes. You know, amazing. <laughs> hey, listen, um, have you guys ever heard of? Because I, I don't know that 2080 ever really travelled. You know, the writers and the artists travelled, but, but 2080 didn't. Do you know the series called um, Nemesis: The Warlock by Pat Mills? I know of it, but I never really. The 2080 stuff is kind of a blind spot for me. Like, yeah. But it is, it is from, I think it is for most people um, in the Americas, generally, yeah. actually, because it wasn't, it wasn't, it, it wasn't kind of repackaged. And, and then those kind of writers and artists kind of went off and did specific, yeah, and it's, it's just interesting because it's, it's really worth investigating. Um, you know, they haven't really done the volumes properly, I don't think, in terms of how they presented them. They've, they've shrunken the work down for the volumes that they've published, which doesn't allow you to read the work properly. You know, it's got this kind of crushed feeling. Yeah, because, like, how big were those originally printed? Almost, I mean, big. So so kind of European size, even album, you know, the album, but even bigger than that, actually. So so they shrink them down quite considerably. And the art was bloody difficult to see <laughs> in the first place. So it's like, you know, it was so dense and crazy. That, you know that I mean there's one because the, the one person I was going to mention there's a there's an artist who worked on Nemesis the Warlock called John Hicklinton um, and he died quite soon after working on um, you know on 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 Nemesis and it is like nothing you've ever seen before it was just it's almost like Sinkovitz or something um, but just so so unique and 2000 AD sort of 86 through probably 1990 every single week there was just i can't remember how many stories four or five stories and every single one of them was just mind-blowingly good um and so that's extraordinary and i and i slightly i see that talent around me now um you know you see that there are a number of talented people working in the uk you know you, you know them as well as i do mm -hmm. um but but uh, there isn't a place that they go to. If anything, I suppose they're going to Image or, you know. They, 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 but there's nothing happening in the UK that is showcasing that work anymore, and that's a great shame because you know there was 2000 AD, there was there was Crisis, there was Deadline. You know there was, you know even the girls' comics like Misty. You know there was loads of publications. There's nothing here now, which I can't understand why that is. Maybe it's because business is more centralized, and I guess it's as easy to pitch to Image as it is to pitch to somebody in the UK. But um, I feel that kind of I feel a sense of loss. You know that that concentration of talent is is is, is there's no mouthpiece for it here at the moment. But I do feel like there is some interesting stuff coming out of the UK right now, um, especially I mean, with like loads. Breakdown Press. And... Oh my God, they're amazing! And you know, and Self Made Hero, fantastic. You know, I don't know whether you saw the Apollo book um, by Matt Fitch and Chris Baker. That was a beautiful piece of work, and Mike Collins um, illustrated that. That's beautiful. And, and 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 like, there's millions of good things from Self Made Hero as well. So. Don't get me wrong, you know, as you say, Breakdown does incredible stuff. Um, so it's not, uh, uh, do you know Alexander Tucker's material, for instance, that Breakdown did? He's incredible. He's like 
you know, Old Testament meets Dungeons and Dragons. It's wild, like by a Kirby. No, you'll love it, Robin. So yeah. there are super talented people, but um, I'm just whinging about a mouthpiece, I guess. You yeah. know, they're good publishers, though. They're very good publishers. Yeah, it's it, and I will say, yeah, Self Made has done some really strong work. Um, I mean, they well, published I mean, Obama in English, which is a whole oh feat in itself. Oh my god, that is just so underrepresented that book i mean i don't understand why it's not like on everybody's bookshelves i love it and self-made hero did such a beautiful um kind of version of it it's stunning um i think it's one of the best looking science fictions ever you know i mean it's kind of up there with um mobius and stuff it's incredible it's well it's it's on everyone's shelf in vancouver good, good. <laughs> all, all the books i know okay. we uh we i passed around the books when i was getting copies and like you guys need to read this just like oh my god yeah it's like a chick track but you know weird sci-fi oh. um totally, totally we've totally you, yeah. um rallied away from talking about <laughs> about your own work uh reminder folks the book is uh tumult uh from self-made hero um and uh the art i'm really interested in by kind of reminds me a little bit of uh kind of that brief era of Mazzuchelli, um, mm. like the rubber blankets mm. era. And I'm interested to know kind of uh, more about I mean, the artist. The guy, well, the guy, Michael Kennedy, is a genius, pure and simple. I mean, he's absolutely incredible. You know, he is... No, I'm going to get his, his age wrong. I, I think he's 23 now. Um, or certainly he drew the book when he was 23. So he is very young and he is absolutely sensational. Um, the story of, 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 of collaborating was because um, um, I'm sure you know Christian Ward, who did Odyssey and he's doing Thor at the moment and he's doing a new project with Willow Wilson, Invisible Kingdoms, Invisible Kingdom um, for Burger Books. Um, he has been a huge support supporter of mine and support to me. And he read Tumult tumult about a million years ago and basically he was going to illustrate it so he did the first couple of pages and then he got lots of work on and then he you know odyssey really kicked off then he was doing black bolt all sorts of stuff but he said to me listen if you cannot get anybody to draw this book i promise you i will draw it for you in a couple of years time but you know i've got to get going so um but keep looking for people so i did I for a while then um jason masters was going to do it for a little bit and then um, I got um, an Arts Council grant here, and it came time, Self-Made Hero wanted to do it, and it came time to actually fix on an artist. And uh, Christian introduced me to, to Mike Kennedy, and, um, and, and as soon as he was connected, and just, I mean, even really before, I mean, I'd seen some of his art, because he'd done Spiritus, by then, but it, it was almost just the first conversations we had and the first images that he sent me, unrelated, not drawn images, just sort of photography, film stills, art pieces. I just knew he was the man, you know, and uh, and and it was an incredibly, incredibly uh, good collaboration, and we're going to continue collaborating. So that is, you know, down to Christian Ward for being extremely generous to put me in touch. Um, so that was very lucky, very, very lucky indeed. And so you're working on another book with him yeah yeah i mean we're actually working on <clears throat> i think we want to do floppies next okay so we're working on a we're working on a monthly pitch now um that will that will send out um to to u.s publishers and and we'll just keep going from there 
Um, yeah. It, there's something more rewarding as far as like seeing your work come out more frequently with the uh, with the floppies. Sure, sure. I mean, it's more just like you can't live on books alone. You know, yeah. I mean, quite uh, quite literally, it's like it just doesn't make financial sense. You know, to do that, it just it just doesn't. You know, I mean, I think as I, again like places like France, Germany, um, Belgium. You know, there's places where you can really get sort of serious serious um, advances and funding and stuff, but. In the UK, I mean, this book couldn't have happened without the Arts Council, so they gave us that. But you can't, you can't live, you can't live on on, on what they give you. You know, it, it really has to be a passion project. So, you, you know, to, to do floppies, you know, it's very satisfying in that you sell them through. It's a, you know, it's a quick fix, as you say. You immediately feel how your audience is responding. <coughs> Excuse me, um, and then you know, and then of course it's it goes into a trade, and then you know, and on and on and on. So. I, th I think we're really, really keen to do that. Although, I really hope we do something else with Self Made here as well, because it was an incredibly happy, um, it was an incredibly happy experience, and they were so supportive. You know, it, 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 I just don't know that we could ever have such supportive publisher again in terms of they were so behind our decisions and so supportive of what we were doing, and we were just so free. Um, you know, that's something very special, and I hope it comes across in the book. I mean, literally, we could do whatever we wanted to do, so we did. Um, you know, can say that any mistakes are our own faults. There's such a neat publisher because, like, they just quietly put out really solid work, and I don't yeah. think people are noticing them. Uh, yeah, loudly. Well, enough. I think I think I think that I think they're breaking through. I mean, you know, of course, people know them to some extent, and they've also got like really broad respect. You know, people in the US know them, people in Europe know them, people all over the the world know them you know obviously you guys know them and you have a great great um i mean i you know i i don't know whether it's because some of the smartest people that i know in terms of comics who've been influential to me are canadian and that's why i think all canadians have amazing <laughs> it's comics or whether that's just that the comic culture is so strong but i think it is very strong there so um so 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 i, I think you're right but what's been really interesting about self-made hero is they really are ratcheting up the pressure on you know, on 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 work that they are commissioning, you know, from scratch, and that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, is that they, they that they really are, are are giving voice to things that 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 haven't been done before, as well as doing those classic things like the armor, which is so brilliant. And I don't know if you've heard of this Andy Warhol um, biography, which they've just done, which just is extraordinary by this artist called Tipex. It's amazing. <laughs> it's like six hundred page kind of pop art masterpiece with every section of Warhol's life drawn in different pop art styles. I mean, it's just wonderful. Wow. So, no, they're really, they're, they still excite me, I must oh, say. They're a really good publisher. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to join me today, John. Hey, my pleasure, my pleasure, and keep up the good work. As I say, you, you do such good work. It's great listening <laughs> to you. And I'm just getting a bit of insight, you know, to, to, to people's processes. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, uh, uh, much appreciated. I'm bad at taking compliments. Uh, reminder, folks, uh, John Harris Dunning and the book is Tumult from, as we mentioned, uh, Self-Made Hero, and you can find it in stores now. Thanks, John. Thanks, Robin. Thanks, Robin.